You're listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast. This week, we bring you a five-part series of messages Howard Sugden presented on the life and mission of Jesus Christ at Moody Week at Gull Lake Michigan Bible Conference 1979. Howard Sugden was a pastor and conference speaker from Lansing, Michigan. Now, here is Howard Sugden on Today in the Word Radio. History is the record of great processions. I do not know if there has been a book written on this or not, but you can almost write one yourself on the great processions of history. Julius Caesar, I am told, entered Rome in a chariot drawn by 40 elephants. Wouldn't that have been a great Republican Party meeting (laughs) to have 40 elephants haul the candidate down the city streets? But he entered the city that way. Mark Anthony entered in a chariot. I rather think that his was greater than Julius Caesar because he had lions, and lions pulled the chariot down the streets of Rome. Great processions. Fifty-two years ago this month, that would have been 1927, historians tell us the greatest procession of history took place. It took place when a tall, skinny man was brought back by the cruiser Memphis to Washington, D.C., and Charles Lindbergh was welcomed home. He had crossed the ocean in his single-engine plane and had now returned to his country. And we are told that it was without question the greatest procession of history. Now, great as these processions may have been, the greatest procession is the ascension of the Lord Jesus. Can you imagine the 24th Psalm as they sang it, the angels in heaven and the angels ascending with the Lord Jesus? And as he draws near the city gates of heaven, they cry out, Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts, they answer, He is the King of glory. Great, great procession. The Lord Jesus ascending into heaven. When Paul writes about it to the Ephesians in chapter 4, he says, when he ascended up, he took a body of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now in the Gospel of John, John has something to say about this in John 16 and 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. This is John 16 and 7, right after 15. I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now, if I had had time tonight, I would do what you pastors would do, on a Lord's Day morning, I would trace all the references in the Gospel of John to the Ascension. 
there are 10 references, 10 statements given by the Lord Jesus himself to his disciples informing them that there would be a day when he would depart and go back to his father. And he lived in the light of that day when he would be taken up. Now when Luke writes about it, he says he was carried up. Mark says he was received up. Acts tells us he was taken up. But when John writes about it, he tells us that the Lord Jesus was very careful to explain that it was expedient for them that he go away. Now the word expedient is a, is a good word in today's world. You know what the word expedient is? It is used seven times, it is used about 11 times, but seven times it is translated profit four times. It is translated profitable three times. The Lord Jesus is saying it will be profitable for you if I go back to heaven. My going back to heaven will be profitable for my people upon earth. And when he went away that day into heaven, you know how they saw him go? I love the picture that Luke gives. We, we are not much on pictures in our house of God, and our auditorium is very plain. But if you should come sometime, you will see a lovely picture. It is in, a, in our baptistry, and it's a picture of the Lord Jesus in his ascension, as how they thought he looked. And I know one thing about the picture is accurate. Because Luke says, as he was taken up, he held out his hands and he blessed them. He eulogized them. He spoke well of them. Think of it. The last glimpse the disciples saw of Jesus and the last word we have from him as he went up, he was speaking well of his disciples. He could have said, watch out for Peter. He could have said, you have, to, you have to be careful with Thomas now. And he could have been speaking to them about their idiosyncrasies and their failures. But he, in his ascension, blessed them. Great to be a blesser. I pray that God will always keep me that way in my ministry. Because it's easy for me to be a blaster and not a blesser. And God's people need blessing. The evidence is in the ascension of the Lord Jesus. Now what profit is there for me tonight here at Gull Lake, back in Lansing, you where you are in your situation, what profit is there for me that there was an ascension and that the Lord Jesus who had been here some 30 years plus was taken back to heaven? What profit? Well, we'll spend a few moments and look at some passages. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. The writer of the Hebrew letter, uh, you wouldn't want me to tell you who wrote it, wouldn't you? Of course you would. Now, when I tell you, you won't know exactly because you'll go on believing just the way you believe if you believe someone else. Well, I think Paul wrote it. I really do. You know what I think about it? I think probably 
Now, this has come with just reflecting on this epistle for, for years and reading everything you could read on it. I have a feeling that in this epistle you have one of Paul's synagogue addresses. I think this could be an address he gave in a Jewish synagogue and he told them about Jesus Christ who was greater than all the others. Now note in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 16, verse 15 brings in the introduction and it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek there ariseth another priest, he's talking about another priest, Two priesthood in the Old Testament, the Aaronic and the Melchizedek priesthood. And he said this one is not after the Aaronic priesthood because they all died. They all passed away and went away. But his is after Melchizedek, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an indissoluble or an endless life. Now, the writer is referring to the ascension, and he is saying to me that the ascension of the Lord Jesus places a man beyond the reach of death in heaven. Now, what does that mean for me? It means this, that his arrival in heaven predicates the arrival and makes possible the arrival of a whole race of men in heaven. Our Lord, you know what he's doing? He's leading us to glory. Not long ago, Mrs. Sugg and I, we were with Rudy Atwood, and each night Rudy would say to me, Pastor, what do you want me to play? And I said, as far as I'm concerned, I just want you to play one hymn. Just do it every night. He said, what is it? And I said, I want you to play Our Lord is leading us to glory. Oh, so wonderful is he. Did you know that he's leading us to glory? That's what he says in the epistle of the Hebrews. How can I be assured that I am going to be in glory? Because there is a man in glory. And sometimes when you go out at night and the night is clear, and you think about the wonders of God's creation and sing under your breath how great thou art. Just to think that there is someone up there who was here and he is in heaven. He was taken up into heaven. And so today, with quiet dignity, I walk to the silent city of the dead. And a great crowd gathered. They, they really did. And we filled up the lovely mausoleum. And then we read about the day when the Lord Jesus would come. And there would be fulfilled in the life of that dear lady the wonder of what the Lord Jesus said. Because I live, you too, you too shall live. And you know in the darkest hour it puts a hallelujah in your heart because he is beyond the reach of death and his being there assures my being there. Now let's take the second. That's the first and we'll be through right on schedule. Let's go to John 14. A familiar passage, one that I love to read and that you know so well. 
John 14. Some time ago, I, I got a fat envelope in the mail, and it was from the Our Heart Association. I just loved it because it told you how to take care of your heart. It told you about what kind of pains you were going to have if you had pains. It told you what to do when you had pains. It was a painful thing, it really was. Talking about hearts. But one thing they did not deal with was troubled hearts. They could deal with all the other kind of heart disease, but they didn't have any remedy for troubled hearts. And hearts are troubled tonight. They're really troubled. They're sitting around a long table. They're reclining. They have probably had their evening meal. And do you know what is happening now? The Lord Jesus, who has walked with them for three years, is telling them that in the next few days, he is going to be taken out and crucified. And their world comes apart. He's been everything they need. He's been bread and light and life and hope. And now he's dying. You mean you're dying? And it is then that he says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, you know this, don't you? Do you have a family Bible? I had a great, you know what? I, I received a great inheritance from my family. I received the family Bible. And he came away across from England, had all the names of our family, and there, there were pages that were worn well, but this was the best worn page of all. And I thought, great day. Isn't it something that for 300 years our family has been reading John 14? And when their hearts have been troubled and restless and frustrated, they have read, let not your heart be troubled. Now, how could he say that? Then he tells us, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And that day when the disciples walked with him to the Mount of Olives, and when they saw him ascending up into heaven, they said, he's going away to prepare a place for us. And do you know, for 1,900 years, he has been there. And for 1,900 years, he has been preparing places and a place. And some of these days, if the Lord Jesus doesn't come, you know where I'm going to go? To heaven. And I'm going to go into that place that he has prepared in his grace and goodness for me. And we live in a world that's fear-filled. I have bought in the last three years, I would presume, Maybe, oh, a shelf, two shelves of books that long on the subject of death. 
You say, why do you do that? Well, because I like to read them. They're so thrilling. And then you read them and you have out-of-the-body experiences and you see people going there out of their bodies and they look back and they see themselves down on the bed. And you have all these things. You know, the greatest word that has ever been spoken about death and the most authoritative word that man has ever heard on the subject is found in the Word of God and not in the multiplicity of books that come off the press, running off the press madly. I am glad that the Lord teaches me what's going to happen to me when I die. Someday I'll take off the body that I've worn. I won't tell you how long because I'm so sensitive about that. But I'll take off the body that I've worn and I'll lay it aside. And Mrs. Sugden, we've discussed this in a cheap casket. I just hate to put money in the ground. So we're going to have a cheap casket. And this old, th these old clothes that I've worn will be laid aside. And do you know that in that moment that they are laid aside, I will step out of the world visible into the world invisible, the invisible world of God. And listen, Christian, th this is something for us. Every day I, I thought of this. Someone came to me. I didn't think about this until someone came to me and asked me about it. And then I thought about it and it disturbed me after they'd asked me. Why did they ask me? They said to me, Pastor, how many funerals have you had in 50 years? And I, well, I, I said I hadn't thought about that. And so I sat down and I began to compute. And I, Do you keep a record of them? I don't either. But I would suppose that I've had 2,000 funerals. Someone says, it gets to be old hat, doesn't it? Oh, I hope you don't think so. I hope you don't think so. Every time I have a funeral, I die. And a part of me dies. And if it were not for hope that is given to me in the word of God to know that to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord Jesus, that it is far better, that it is gain for me. I don't know what I do. I couldn't keep saying. But when you hear these words, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I'm preparing a place for you. And sometimes I think about that place, I wonder how it'll be papered, what kind of plumbing it will have, the lighting. I'm going to live there in heaven. Now the ascension not only puts a man beyond the reach of death, but it also makes it possible for him to prepare a place for me. That's what he said. I go to prepare a place for you. Now let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Talking about the blessings of the ascension. What does the ascension give to me? A man beyond the reach of death assures my being someday beyond the reach of death where its clammy hand will never clamp onto mine. Gives me the assurance of a home in heaven. Now Ephesians 1. We'll begin 
verse 18, the eyes of your heart being enlightened. Pastors, I can say this to you, can't I, and encourage you. I have been doing something that I've enjoyed. I've never done it before in my life. But I've been doing for the last eight or ten weeks on Sunday nights, I have been doing the visions of men of God in the Bible. And do you know they are great? They really are. Starting out with Abraham, you know, called Sarah and said, Sarah, come! And Sarah came and he handed to her his telescope and she looked through it and he said, what do you see? She said, I see what you see. I see a city. And you know, all their lives, he got a U-Haul and started out because he saw a city whose builder and maker was God. The great visions in the Bible, they are utterly staggering. And this is one in Ephesians 1, 18. The eyes of your heart being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what the riches of his glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power. He said, I want you to catch a vision of the greatness and wonder and majesty and power of God. And he said, what did God do with that power? Oh, he raised him from the dead. And what did he do? Well, when he raised him from the dead, verse 22, it says, he put all things under his feet. How did he do that? Well, he says in verse 21, he put him far above all principalities. That's the ascension. And now he hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. Now, there are many, many pictures in the Bible of the, uh, of, of the church, aren't there? I, I was shocked. Almost a hundred, right? Almost a hundred pictures in the New Testament of the church of Jesus Christ. But I think the most wonderful of all of them is the fact that the church is his body. And a body, if, if a body is for anything, a body is for the expression of a personality. I wouldn't know you if you hadn't brought your body tonight. You knew that, didn't you? I wouldn't know you. I had the foggiest notion who you were if you didn't have your body. So here is, well, God has given me a body. What's he given me a body for? My body is a vehicle through which my personality is expressed. And my personality is the totality of me, my ears. You wouldn't believe it, but my hair. <laughs> my hands, everything about me. What is personality? Someone said, well, personality is made up of emotions, intellect, and will. Think of the church of Jesus Christ in this world, Christ in his ascension as the head, and we are the expression of personality in this world. Talk about emotions. You know what the emotion is? I think when we think of emotions, the greatest emotion we have is love. It's balanced, of course, with hate, but emotion. The church expresses to a world the love of God. How do men know that God cares for them except it is communicated through the church? 
That's emotions. Do you know how men know about the wisdom of God? Do you know how angels learn about the wisdom of God? They learn about the wisdom of God through the church. Paul said every time a church has a business meeting, the angels of heaven crawl out to the edge and look down and say, we're going to learn something tonight. And I say this to my men, be careful what they learn in our business meetings. That's what it says, that they might learn through the church the manifold wisdom of God. Emotions, intellect, will. We cry to a passing throng and a parade of people that whosoever will may come. We express the will of God. The spirit and the bride say come, and whosoever heareth, let him say come. And whosoever will, let him come. Why you talk about the, the ascension of Christ? I have been amazed at the, at the few books that have been written on this subject. Very few books written on it. Someone will someday write a great treatise on the ascension of the Lord Jesus. Because in that ascension, there was a man beyond the reach of death. In that ascension, he's preparing a place for me. In that ascension, think of it. He became the head over all things to the church, which is his body. Well, we're doing fairly well. Let's go to Hebrews and uh, look uh, again. We, we just can't stop at this early. Hebrews chapter 4. Ascension, isn't it, isn't it a great word? When, when Mrs. Joseph Parker died, Joseph Parker didn't like the use of the word death, so he put on his wife's tombstone her name and the word ascended in the day. That's something. When he died, I, I, I copied this down, it was so interesting to me. When he died, he had his monument, a little plain monument, Joseph Parker, born April the 9th, 1830, ascended November the 28th, 1902. Of course, his ascension wasn't like the Lord's ascension, but it's a great word. No wonder he was captured with it. Now in Hebrews chapter 4, you have a section on the priesthood begins with verse 14. In chapter 1, the Lord Jesus is the seated priest. By the way, four times in the epistle of the Hebrews, he sat down, he sat down, he sat down, he sat down. Uh, the, the writer said, I don't want you to forget he sat down. So he is a seated priest in chapter 1. In chapter 2, he's a sympathizing priest. The writer says he is able to come to our assistance. He uses the word sucker, which is a word that we are not familiar with. It's literally, literally sympathize. In chapter 3, he is a faithful priest. He is designated so in verse 1. But in chapter 4, verse 16, or verse 14 through 16, note, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed through the heavens, he ascended. He was taken up. He was carried up. 
He was welcomed home. And the writer of the Hebrew letter said, well, he is a great high priest. He's passed through the heavens. I don't believe we can better much the thought that the Jews had about the heavens, that there is a heaven of clouds. Sometimes they're very, very low. It's great to fly. I like to fly above clouds. Sometimes when I'm flying, it just seems like you just open the door. I always sit by the emergency door on the plane. That's, if they ask me what seat I want, say the emergency, because I'm going to get out. But uh, there are the clouds below us. That's one heaven. Then you look out, and there are the stars above us. There's another heaven. And then there's God's abode. I believe that is a fairly good setting forth of the heavens. Now, our Lord passed through the heavens. And because he is in heaven, we have an, a high priest who can be touched. We have a priest that's passed through. Just to think. Tomorrow morning and tonight, you go back to your room tonight, you get down on your knees, and you reach up the hand of faith, and you know what you do? You touch him. When he ascended, he went out of sight, but not out of reach. You can touch him. And if you want to know about the wonder of that touch, someday just sit down, go through the Gospels, and write down the names and the situations of all the people that touched him. Great study. She only touched the hem of his garment as to his side she stole. Amid the crowd that gathered around him, and straightway she was whole. Oh, touch the hem of his garment. Isn't it great you can? tonight, tomorrow. He said, you can touch him. We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tested like as we are, apart from sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace. We'll have to come hesitatingly. It doesn't say brazenly, it says boldly. We come without fear to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Sometimes in the word of God, grace is used as in the, the context of the grace of God that brings salvation. And we sing amazing grace, how great the sound and sweet the sound. But this is the grace that has to do with strength. The strength that I need, the help that I need, ahead of time. This word, in time of need, is ahead of time. Just think, God wants to be ahead of us. And as our great high priest in heaven, he is ahead of us to give us help in our hours of need and how we need that. One of the great nights of my life took place, oh, about two years ago, three years ago. 3.30 in the morning, 2.30, 3.30 in the morning, I tell our people that they can call me any hour of the night for anything, any problem. They can call me, and they believe me. They believe me. Because in the hour when situations are rough and hard, they say, Pastor said we could talk with him. And this night, the phone rang. And it was our St. Lawrence Hospital, and the St. Lawrence Hospital lady said, 
Pastor Sugden, you are needed here immediately. How long will it be before you'll be here? Well, I said it's about a mile and a half. I have to slip on my clothes. I, I suppose I can be there in five minutes, I think. She said, we'll be waiting for you. And they met me at the door and escorted me to the elevator and took me up and took me in a room. And here was a lady. She was so quiet. She was on the bed and she was so quiet. There was her husband and here was a tall man that I sensed was a doctor. And they said, we were, we're sorry to call you, but we don't know what to do. And I didn't know what had happened. They said we had a little baby, just a little baby this long. And that little baby has been born without any way to get food from here to here. Its hands are all webbed, its feet all webbed. And if, if he lives, it will take a multitude of operations. Now we have called you, now think of this, it's 2.30 in the morning, and normally you're not quite awake yet. They, they said we have called you to make the decision for us whether we will allow the child to die or to take the child to another hospital in this city where we can operate. I said, dear Lord, what would you do? What will I do? And you, you wonder, and then you discover how, how true this is. Because in, the, in that instant, the simplest thing came to me. Well, take him to the other hospital, of course. Take him to the hospital. If he lives, God wants him to live. And you'll have given him the chance. And if he dies, God's hand is in that. So I just said that. And I'll never forget what the doctor said. He, he looked startled. He said, uh, my father was a, and mother, they were missionaries. He said they were reformed missionaries. And he said, it seems to me that I heard them talk things like that once. Oh, I said, that's altogether possible that you did. Do you know what happened? They took that little baby that very moment of that night, and they rushed him across the city to another hospital. They began their operations, and in the course of the next two or three months, I would, I would imagine he had 20 operations. They opened up, went down, put in a tube for him to get food down through, operated on his head, and arranged his head, and shifted his head. And the other day, I met his dad and mom, in the hall of our house of God. And they came over and they said, Pastor, we just want to thank you for that night two or three years ago. The greatest thing that ever's happened in our lives and in our home is that little David lived. He has brought blessing in our home like you can't believe. And they said, we want to thank you. I said, don't thank me. Don't thank me, I was just there. And I was just simply saying what God would have said if he had been there, I'm sure, because I didn't know enough to do it. It's great to have a high priest that's ahead of you, who gives you help, help, help ahead of time. D did you buy your license plate this year? You did for your car, didn't you? I hope. 
Did you know what you got in it if you had a license plate like ours? All of our license plates in our city, we had in the little envelope, had a cardboard that long, that high. You know what was written on it? And then it said down at the bottom, it said, any time you're on the highway and you are being hurt or plagued, you drop this in the back of your car and it will be a signal for someone to stop by. And I said, as I took this out of the envelope and read it, oh, thank you, Lord, that long before the state thought of it, you thought of it. And you gave me a great high priest. And when I cry, help, even before I cry, he's there ahead of me. You see, he's a great priest. He's a great priest. Now let's take the last one. You say, are you ever going to stop? I am. You won't believe it, but I am. Let's go to John, back to where we started. Let's go back to John 16. Now, I should spend another hour on this, but I won't do it. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is essential for you that I go away. It is profitable for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I go, I will send him unto you. I would like to read a brief comment and then close. I have a friend that I have not met. His name is Henry Barclay Sweet, S-W-E-T-E. He has done some great works on the Revelation, on the Gospel of Mark, and one on the Upper Room Discourse of the Lord Jesus. I want to read this lovely comment of, of Sweet on this passage. He said, it is profitable for you that I go. If I go, I will send him, and he will come to you. And the disciples have been hearing the Lord Jesus talk about trouble and hate and violence and suffering, and they are saying to themselves, how are we going to live in this kind of world? He said, I'm going to heaven, and I'm going to send you a power that will enable you to live. And Sweet says this. Incredible as it might seem, it was true that the disciples would gain by their loss, for it was the one condition upon which they could receive the Holy Spirit. Only if Jesus left them could the Holy Spirit come. There is a double mystery here. We ask ourselves first why the coming of the Spirit should have depended on the going of the Son. The most obvious answer is that the Father's promised gift must be claimed by the Son's return to the Father. It was the outcome of our Lord's completed mission, his death and his burial and his resurrection. In the words of John, there could be no spirit until Jesus was glorified, no spirit coming into the world. The incarnate must appear in the presence of God for man with the tokens of his sacrifice before he could send upon the church the firstfruits of his death. Now this, the church has gained and has not lost by the ascension. In exchange for a comforter whose ministry, that is the comforter who was the Lord Jesus, whose ministry was limited to a small circle in a single generation, it has received another comforter, the Spirit of God, who can be with all believers at all time, everywhere in history. It is profitable for you that I go away. 
We closed our Bible school on Friday last week. And I love Bible school because we work with young people and kids. And we have all the young children in the morning through the sixth grade. And we have pomp and circumstance. You wouldn't believe it, but we do. We have pomp and circumstance and dignity. And one of the things we do, we carry the flags in. And we have flag bears, and they come down the aisles with the flag, and then they put them up, and we salute them. And then we salute the Bible, the Christian flag, the American flag. In our school this past week, there was a, a young girl from Nigeria. Her father was out at MSU getting his degree to go back to his country. And she came. She was in the sixth grade. She came to Mrs. Sugden and said to her, think of this. She said, the greatest thing that I could ever do while I'm here in the United States would be if some morning I could carry the United States flag, think of it, and hold it, and just hold it while they saluted it. So that morning came and she carried the flag and it was saluted. And she came into her class and do you know what happened? Something greater than carrying the flag. She was saved. And she will go back to Nigeria indwelt by the Spirit of God because the ascension of the Lord Jesus makes possible life's greatest miracle the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God in the body of a believer. And she'll go back to Nigeria that way. It is profitable for you that I go away, Jesus said, because if I go not away, he will not come. But if I go away, I'll be beyond the reach of death. I'll be preparing a place for you. I will become the head of the church. I will be a great high priest, and I will make possible life's greatest miracle. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for the hour together, for the privilege of reading, studying, thinking together. Thank you for loving us, and thank you for your greatness, how great thou art. Bless our lives, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. You've been listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast and a message Howard Sugden presented on the life and mission of Jesus Christ at Moody Week at Gull Lake, Michigan Bible Conference 1979. Howard Sugden was a pastor and conference speaker from Lansing, Michigan. Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at moodyaudio.com. Today in the Word radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.